When all was ready, the man reached in his pocket for a second piece of birch bark. He knew the bark was there, and though he could not feel it with his fingers, he could hear its crisp rustling as he fumbled for it. Try as he would, he could not clutch hold of it, and all the time in his consciousness was the knowledge that each instant his feet were freezing. This thought tended to put him in a panic, but he fought against it and kept calm. He pulled on his mittens with his teeth and threshed his arms back and forth, beating his hands with all his might against his sides. He did this sitting down, and he stood up to do it, and all the while the dog sat in the snow. Its wolf brush of a tail curled around warmly over its forefeet. Its sharp wolf ears pricked forward intently as it watched the man. And the man, as he beat and threshed with his arms and hands, felt a great surge of envy as he regarded the creature that was warm and secure in its natural covering. After a time, he was aware of the first faraway signals of sensation in his beaten fingers. The faint tingling grew stronger, till it evolved into a stinging ache that was excruciating, but which the man hailed with satisfaction. He stripped the mittens from his right hand and fetched forth the birch bark. The exposed fingers were quickly going numb again. Next, he brought out his bunch of sulfur matches, but the tremendous cold had already driven the life out of his fingers. In his effort to separate one match from the other, the whole bunch fell in the snow. He tried to pick it out of the snow, but failed. The dead fingers could neither touch nor clutch. He was very careful. He drove the thought of his freezing feet and nose and cheeks out of his mind, and devoting his whole soul to the matches. He watched using the sense of vision in place of that of touch, and when he saw his fingers on each side of the bunch, he closed them. That is, he willed them close, for the wires were drawn and the fingers did not obey. He pulled the mitten on the right hand and beat it fiercely against his knee. Then, with both mittened hands, he scooped the bunch of matches along with much snow into his lap. Yet, he was no better off. After some manipulation, he managed to get the bunch between the heels of his mittened hands. In this fashion, he carried it to his mouth. The ice crackled and snapped, when by a violent effort he opened his mouth. He drew the lower jaw in, curled the upper lip out of the way, and scraped the, br- and scraped the bunch with his upper teeth in order to separate a match. He succeeded in getting one, which he dropped on his lap. He was no better off. He could not pick it up. Then he devised a way. He picked it up in his teeth and scratched it on his leg. Twenty times he scratched before he succeeded in lighting it. As it flamed, he held it with his teeth to the birch bark, but the burning brimstone went up his nostrils and into his lungs, causing him to cough spasmatically. The match fell into the snow and went out. The old timer on Sulphur Creek was right. He thought the moment of controlled despair that ensued. 
After 50 below, a man should travel with a partner. He beat his hands, but failed in exciting any sensation. Suddenly, he bared both hands, removing the mittens with his teeth. He caught the whole bunch between the heels of his hands. His arm muscles not being frozen enabled him to press the hand heels tightly against the matches. Then he scratched the bunch along his leg. It flared into flame 70 sulfur matches at once. There was no wind to blow them out. He kept his head to one side to escape the strangling fumes and held the blazing bunch to the birch bark. As he so held it, he became aware of sensation in his hand. His flesh was burning. He could smell it. Deep down below the surface, he could feel it. The sensation developed into pain that grew acute, and still he endured it, holding the flame of the matches clumsily to the bark that would not light readily, because his own burning hands were in the way, absorbing most of the flame. At last, when he could endure no more, he jerked his hands apart. The blazing matches fell, sizzling into the snow, but the birch bark was alight. He began laying dry grasses and the tiniest twigs on the flame. He could not pick and choose, for he had to lift the fuel between the heels of his hands. Small pieces of rotten wood and green moss clung to the twigs, and he bit them off as well as he could with his teeth. He cherished the flame carefully and awkwardly. It meant life, and it must not perish. The withdrawal of blood from the surface of his body now made him begin to shiver, and he grew more awkward. A large piece of green moss fell squarely on, his, on the little fire. He tried to poke it out with his fingers, but its shivering frame made him poke too far and he disrupted the nucleus of the little fire. The burning grasses and tiny twigs separating and scattering. He tried to poke them together again, but in spite of the tenseness of the effort, his shivering got away with him and the twigs were hopelessly scattered. Each twig gushed a puff of smoke and went out. The fire provider had failed, and he looked apathetically about him. His eyes chanced on the dog sitting across the ruins of the fire from him in the snow, making restless, hunching movements, slightly lifting one forefoot and then the other, shifting its weight back and forth on them with wishful eagerness. The sight of a dog put a wild idea into his head. He remembered the tale of a man caught in the blizzard who killed a steer and crawled inside the carcass and was saved. He would kill the dog and bury his hands in the warm body until the numbness went out. Then he could build another fire. He spoke to the dog, calling it to him. But in his, in, in his voice was a strange note of fear that frightened the animal who had never known the man to speak in such a way before. Something was the matter, and its suspicious nature sensed danger. It knew not what danger, but somewhere, somehow its brain arose in apprehension of the man. It flattened its ears at the sound of the man's voice, and its restless hunching movements, and the liftings and shiftings of its forefeet became more pronounced. But it would not come to the man.
He got on his hands and knees and crawled towards the dog. This unusual posture again excited suspicion, and the animal sidled mincingly away.